The Spirit have many great games ahead during this PAC Spring season, and the OUAZ Athletics Podcast is looking forward to bringing you the best stories from the action. Each new episode will have an athlete or coach who tell the tale of their time at OUAZ. Each new episode can be found on Apple Music, Spotify, and on the official athletics website at OUAZSpirit.com slash podcasts. Make sure to like, rate, and subscribe to never miss a second of the OUAZ Athletics Podcast. Welcome in again, OUAZ Spirit fans. My name is Seth Ashelson. It's been a long time since we've had a podcast episode. A lot of games have been going on. Um, but we're, we're glad to be back, and a man whose teams haven't played any games yet and, and won't until the fall of 2021, but I know he's excited. Uh, the new men's and women's head water polo coach, Logan Powell. Logan, how are you today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you coming in. Um, you know, kind of a, a wild time to be hired as the head coach of a, a college team. Um, what has the first few weeks been like for you here at OUAZ? What have you kind of learned about the school, the city of Surprise? Um, I know you said you live out in Goodyear. Um, so really just the far west valley, what have you learned over the last few weeks? Well, uh, you know, I've kind of been li- learning what uh, living in Arizona is all about. I've moved out here from uh, Orange County, California. I think my college years in L.A. at UCLA, and then immediately we kind of went back to the Orange County bubble. So, you know, we're excited to just – experience something new and go to a new area and figure out what life is like outside of that Orange County area. And, um, you know, uh, the first couple of weeks for me, I've just kind of been observing what's going on around the university and with the program in general. The, a lot of the students are, or the athletes for the water polo team are dual athletes, so a lot of them swim. And uh, Coach Darian Townsend has kind of taken up the responsibility of keeping those guys interested and on board while there was no uh, water polo coach here. So um, when I got here, they were re- getting ready to wrap up swim season. They had a couple of swim meets left. And so I was just trying to support Darian in that and uh, make sure that the athletes were comfortable. And really, I just kind of had an – I took it upon myself to kind of have an observation role. I didn't want to come in too strong, and I knew they were in the middle of something, and I, I wanted them to wrap – that up and stay focused on their swim and um, I was just kind of observing what the culture's like with them and you know where they're at with their mindset as far as you know being an athlete and being a student athlete and just trying to really support Darian is kind of the role that I saw almost as like an assistant swim coach Um, and then just try to inspire the water polo guys and get them excited for what's to come. Yeah you were out there during the GSAC championship on uh, Friday and Saturday, a pretty good experience, pretty cool experience as well. Um, what have you learned from Darian in terms of the culture of, of the swim and, and the, the guys and the girls who may be interested in, in also playing water polo? I mean, what are some of the things that you've learned? Well, I've, I've learned that, you know, I was really happy to see that the swim and the water polo programs are, you know, kind of in concert here. A lot of the students do both swim, they compete at the swim level, and they also compete in water polo, and I think that's a really healthy thing. You know, I think most healthy programs are kind of aquatics program-driven more than individual sport. Of course, they have their focus different times a year, um, but Darian does an awesome job. I think the swim team here and the program and the aquatics community in general is super fortunate to have Darian here. Um, he's an Olympic gold medalist. He's, you know, 
a great swimmer, a great coach. You know, I learned a lot as far as I don't have a competitive swim background, so I was able to kind of see how he runs his swim swim workouts and, and pick up some tips on that kind of thing. And, um, yeah, the GSAC con conference was, was really cool. Um, it was great to host it. We have a beautiful facility out here uh, with a 50-meter pool, and Darian had it all, bells and whistles looking nice, and uh, and it was awesome to, awesome to be present and just be supportive. Yeah, the pool was looking pretty nice and, and pretty pristine out there um, at the YMCA in Goodyear. Um, now, when you talk about different sports, say like football, you know, they, they see, say maybe a track season is, you know, oh, that's how the kids condition, right? They play football in the fall, then run track in the spring. With water polo and swimming, I mean, maybe not that exact same dynamic, but is it, does it help that some of the water polo players also competitively swim just to keep themselves you know, sharp in the pool and, and training in a sense, right, to, to stay in shape out of water polo season? Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's really beneficial. Um, you know, most high school programs will, you know, require their water polo players to swim or vice versa. Um, and I think that's really healthy for the athletes, not only physically as far as, you know, training and uh, staying in swim shape for water polo or vice versa, but also mentally, like to get the, a break from the sport, you know, shift gears and compete in a different way as an individual and as a team with swim and you know focus on something new maybe give their shoulders a little bit of a break or their body a change in, in dynamics as far as what they're what they're stressing on on muscles and joints and um and so yeah i think it's i think it's a beautiful thing um i'm definitely going to continue to encourage it i think it's you know something that's that I, I was really pleased to see going on over here you know like uh you know it's interesting that you say that football players run track in the off season. I'm, I haven't been super hands on and and really know well what goes on as far as in a football com football player's competitive year. Um, but I always like equated it to like that it was kind of unique that swimmers and water polo players overlap so much. Like you don't expect a basketball player to go out and run cross country in the off season and that kind of thing. And and so I think, like like I said, the aquatics culture bleeds through the both programs. And so I think it's really important that, you know, the swim coach and the water polo coach work together, you know. And the, the pool itself is a very scarce resource. Pool time is a very scarce resource. So they have to be, you know, have the same mindset as far as what they want from their athletes and what they want from their programs. And I think that we have that here. So I'm super pleased. Yeah, and I think – as you said, you know, not only is the pool kind of a scarce resource, but also it seems like, especially on in this program, both on the men's and women's side, they really like to compete no matter what it is, just whatever event it may be. Um, and, and swimming gives another outlet to compete when the water polo season isn't there. So, uh, And water polo as a sport is one, I think, in the United States just not as well known, right? I remember growing up um, – I used to play a version of water polo in my own backyard pool. We had, you know, the little skimmer area, and I would throw mm -hmm. little squishy balls in, in right. there. And, and I remember my grandfather suggested, oh, you should play water polo. Well, fortunately, I didn't really know any water polo clubs <laughs> out here. But um, just as a sport in general, I mean, I know it's really big in California, especially where you came from. You were a head coach at a high school where here there's no AIA-sanctioned water polo. Mm -hmm. um, but just the sport of water polo as a whole, what – what is it? What is the culture? And, and how have you really lived your life and enjoyed your life in, in water polo? Yeah, well, that's a good question. You know, it's 
it's been awesome to see the sport grow uh, since I was an age group player. You know, it was something that was that was already already had a foundation in Southern California when I was young, and so my older brother played a little bit. So I was on the pool deck climbing under the bleachers and causing havoc when I was a little kid, kind of getting it through osmosis. And then uh, when I got into fifth grade, I started playing water polo. So there was that option for me, super young. That option at at that time, which was you know late '90s, early '90s, um, you know it wasn't an option in most of the country, even up in NorCal, it was just getting started. Um, and now I went to a tournament in Utah to do some, some recruiting and, and watch some teams, some teams play that I knew of. And, uh, and it was great. It was, there were Utah teams out there, a, a team Vegas, you know, teams from all over the, the country and they were legit. They were really good. You could tell that the kids have been playing water polo since a young age. They had a great foundation of skills and, good balance, good fundamentals, and, and also really high water polo IQ. So that was something that wasn't around when I was a kid. You know, if you, you had a team that was put together from out of state, really anywhere outside of California, there were some Florida teams and, and East Coast teams and programs that were, that were semi-established. But if it was outside of those areas, I mean, they were brand new, just getting into it maybe as a 15, 16-year-old. And, and uh, you know, at that point, they were – you know, significantly behind a California club or a California high school program or a Florida high school program or, or what have you. So it was great to see just the manifestation of, of the sport spreading throughout the country um, and, and becoming, you know, something that's big. I know still it's, it's semi-scarce in the Midwest, um, but there are places like Ohio and Utah and, um, you know, Chicago's got a good water polo culture and, and it's spreading. So it's, it's great to see USA Water Polo has done a good job of, of spreading the sport and, and getting a lot more athletes involved. What do you think the reason is for such the spread, right? Especially in the places like you just mentioned, Utah, Ohio, where it can be hard to get into a pool in the winter, right? I right. mean, obviously there's indoor pools, but it's not like Arizona or California where a lot of people have a pool in their backyard and, and things of that nature. What do you think that change has been, and, and why has it bled so far outside of really the state of California and Florida? Well, I mean, I, th I think there's multiple dynamics to that. You know, like most complex issues, why something spreads is there's multiple reasons for it. You know, I, I, one, one, like I said, I think that the, the institution of water polo has done a good job, you know, marketing and publicizing and supporting new programs and helping it spread. And on the other side, I, th I think it's just an, it's an awesome sport. It's a, it's a great sport. So I think young people really, really get into it. You know, if you travel to somewhere like, uh, you know, Eastern Europe or other places in Europe, like Italy, something like that, Croatia, uh, Hungary, you, you land in the airport in Budapest and there's a huge poster on the wall that's uh, their goalie getting out of the water to make a save. Like there would be maybe Kobe on the wall here or for the newer, newer people, LeBron or someone on the wall here when you land in LA. Um, and so they get their biggest, baddest athletes to play water polo. You know, that's someone that might be a center in basketball or a lineman in football here would be their center or their goalie in, in, in a place like Hungary or, or Croatia. And so I think that just speaks to the fact that the sport itself is, is a great sport. And I think that alone helps it grow, you know, no matter how, how much marketing you do or how much effort and energy you put behind pushing something if the product itself is not something that people want to be a part of then it's not going to be successful and so i think i think you can't underestimate you know 
what a great sport water polo is. It, you know, it blends a lot of different dynamics into the into one sport. You know, you can kind of take a couple things from 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 different competitive sports and and you kind of put them all in, and then you throw them in a body of water, which creates an entirely different dynamic and a different challenge. And um, if you get on that young, it's something that you can really get into. I think you make a really interesting point about when you go to other places, such as, like you said, Croatia, Hungary, those European countries, some Eastern European type countries. I think what makes what's unique in the United States is that so many great athletes are playing football, right? Just pure athletes. And like you said, if for water polo, if you can get into the water young and get some, you know, get into it young, I mean, it's something that you could really develop and, and be great. And I think just American football, the way it's so ingrained in the culture and, and how so many athletes are drawn to that, and, and rightfully so, right? I mean, the amount of money you can make in the NFL is incredible, right. especially, you know, even if you're only playing special teams or whatever it may be. But I think it's just interesting that, you know, without American football, I mean, we could see so many great athletes in so many different sports and, and water polo could be one of those. And when you also talk about athletes, um, what is the typical water polo player, right? Like for basketball, you say, oh, there's a guy that can run, that can jump, that can shoot a little bit. That's somebody we could always use on our team no matter what. What is, What do you look for in a water polo player where you say, okay, you know, maybe we might not know his or her position, but that's somebody we can have on our team and, and we'll contribute? Yeah, I mean, if you want to boil it down to – to one thing, it'd just be athleticism. You know, the the sport itself has roles for a multitude of different body types and, and things like that. You know, the best player in the world in water polo in any given time can be, you know, someone that's, you know, 5'7 and is a quick uh, attacker, driver inside water, just ultra creative, like a guy like SDRD back in the day or, you know, or some huge 6'5", 6'6", 245 pound stud you know like it just depends on you know the creativity level and the athleticism of, a, of an individual you know and uh so I, th- I think that you can't really put your finger on on one thing like yes they have to be able to swim you know they have to be have pretty good hands and be able to move and and, and be creative you know but I think that anyone if they are able to put their mind to it, they can become a good water polo player you know I think one thing that you have to buy into like like all competitive sports is is the pain of it, you know? I mean, water polo, the one thing with water polo is it, it's really hard to be a casual water polo player, like a casual athlete, you know? Like you, can, you can go down to the to the park and play basketball on a weekend once every couple of weeks and, and have a great time. If you try to play water polo out of shape, it's like the most miserable thing in the world. Uh, but if you're in great shape, it's one of the best things you could, do, you could do. So, you know, that's something, you know, I'm 36 now, you know, I get in the water and go play and it's, I'm used to the pain. I've done it so so long that I'm I'm okay with it, but it's definitely not as enjoyable as when you're in great shape and you know you can outwork your opponent. So, no, it's it's very interesting that you say that. I remember, again, back to how my grandfather suggested maybe I should play water polo, and then he reminded me, no, you're not standing in the shallow end of the pool. You have to keep yourself up in the deepest end of the pool, right? And that's where the pain comes in, yeah, as you say. So, um, but for you, I mean. Back in the day, like you said, you're not too old. I mean, you're 36, not mm-hmm. not that far off from your college days. You're an NCAA national champion at UCLA. Um, that was in 2004. 2005, you were an honorable mention All-American. 2006, your second team. Um, you scored 34 goals as a senior, led the team, 88 career goals at UCLA. I mean, just 
a really incredible and accomplished career at UCLA. What was your time like there, and and what did you learn about the college game of water polo that you took on with your life into coaching when you coached high school and, and now that you're coaching here at OUAZ? Yeah, my experience at UCLA was was awesome. You know, I mean, I was fortunate enough to have a great high school water polo program as well at San Clemente High. We had a good pedigree and a good history of being successful. They were CIF champions in, in 91. I got into high school at 98 and, uh, you know, competing for league. And we got the CIF semifinals in Division One my senior year and lost by a goal of the team uh, that eventually won at Long Beach Wilson, who I think more mentally than physically had the edge on everyone. You know, they just kind of dominated that era of high school water polo. And, uh, you know, going into UCLA, I mean, the one thing that really stood out was the pace of the game in college compared to high school. Um, I redshirted my freshman year, and uh, I put in a lot of time before I was actually able to be rewarded at the college level. And I think that's something that takes people off guard. There were 12 freshmen when I signed at, at UCLA in my class, and I think six of them made it through. So half of them ended up getting left by the wayside either due to you know, not being willing to put in the time to get the playing time or, you know, just the amount of actual commitment, you know, and, uh, and, and work involved with being a, being an athlete at, at a high level at a college level like that. So, um, you know, it took me a long time to adjust to the speed of the game. I remember, uh, you know, I had a couple of buddies that actually played at San Clemente High mm -hmm. that ended up going to UCLA and they were you know, taking it to me when I, I got there kind of as my as freshman and, and, and showing me the ropes and, and not taking it easy on me. And it took me a while to, to adjust to that, to that speed and that level, you know. And then even in the national championship in 2004, I was lucky enough and honored enough to be part of a part of a team that had a group of seniors that were just, they were people I had looked up to my entire career. I saw them play in high school. They were a couple of years older than me. And uh, they were, you know, play, uh, you know, CIF player of the year and All-American and all these guys. And then they were the senior leaders on my team, guys like Peter Belden and Albert Garcia and Josh Yuko and uh, Brad Ornsby, who was an Olympian. And we had great goalie with Joe Axelrad. And so, you know, my role really in that championship game was just to come off the bench and uh, kind of be a specialized left-hander. I come in on an extra man power play situation and then, um, our center defender, the other lefty, got ended up getting excluded from the game, so I was able to come play some big minutes in overtime and um, was able to contribute for the team, which was just something that you know I'll always be thankful that I had that opportunity. And just to be able to be put in that situation, I think, is a combination of you know dedication, hard work, perseverance, and just luck. You know, like we were able to get. You know, I was able to be part of a part of a team that others maybe have paved the way for to, you know, to kind of get to that point. So. Now you made an interesting point about when you got to college, just how what it was like in terms of the amount of work, the dedication you had to give. And I think back in 2004, 2005, that was kind of that era where a lot of college athletes started to realize, hey, you know, we're doing a lot of this and right with Reggie Bush. And, and his payment, that was a huge story, you know, a couple of years after he left USC. And I think sports like water polo, swimming, gymnastics, really get lost in the wayside with just how much work you do have to put in, right? I mean, football and basketball get all the attention, but it seems like every athlete on any NCAA campus 
puts in just as much work as anybody else for their sport and, and it's long hours and kind of weird hours right you're waking up to practice then you're going to class then you're going to work out then you're going back to class then you're practicing again right. um what was that schedule like and, and how were you able to adjust to that type of schedule at ucla when you first got there yeah the schedule was a tough thing for sure to adjust for uh, adjust to and uh you know all of a sudden your mommy and daddy aren't there telling you to get to class and there's a lot of personal responsibility there and you know a nap looks really enticing in the middle of the day when you know you have afternoon practice and you had to be up 5:30 for weights and uh you know that was something i had to i had to learn to deal with and and learn to learn to enjoy the grind so to speak it's one thing i i think the athletes here at OUAZ should be really thankful for with the smaller class sizes you know that's that you know they have a peer group around them and and they don't get lost in the 400 per plus person lecture hall and they you know, have other people helping them hold themselves accountable. I think that's something that that is a great a great attribute of a smaller a smaller university with with a smaller amount of students. Um, you know, one thing looking back on my educational career is, I wish I would have taken more advantage of of the opportunities to learn and opportunities to get educated uh, in my college college years. And it was something that you know that I would lose that temptation to just skip that class. I can do okay with the midterm anyway, and and just more worried about the result of getting the grade instead of actually learning and expanding my horizons and 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 uh, becoming a better person. And so, um, yeah, it's funny when you mentioned that you know the fanfare goes to the big sports. There's one thing that I I saw at UCLA, which I'm sure is something that's con consistent across across the country at, at universities like that. But I I saw that. You know, I get up at 5.30 or 5 o'clock or whatever it is and get to the weight room, and on my way we'd go by the football field, and the band would be out there standing with their instruments, you know, getting ready to do their work. And then I'd go back, I'd go back to class, and they're still working at it. And then we come back at night, and they're still working at it. And the band, I swear, was like one of the hardest-working uh, groups on, the, on campus, man. They were super dedicated and super into it, and they were at, awesome at big games and, and uh, really important to the culture. And, and like that, like, I don't think there's athletes, a lot of athletes respect what the amount of work that they put in, you know? So like you say, I think every group has their, has their commitment level and their dedication that needs to be respected and something that they should be proud of. I like how you did mention the marching band. Cause I remember when I was in high school, you know, and marching bands, you know, is all, they just play instruments and walk around and all that. But I remember picking up, uh, a saxophone one time during high school and I was like man they're marching in order carrying this thing and playing at the same time right it's a lot better than I could do I uh, definitely say that yeah so uh, but you said you know you took the your freshman year redshirted put in a lot of work you didn't get to see it pay off you know immediately but you saw it pay off in that national championship game now here's the quote from UCLA's official website Quote, sophomore Logan Powell scored the game-winning goal with 13 seconds remaining in the second overtime period to send UCLA to a thrilling 10-9 victory over Stanford on Sunday afternoon in the NCAA Men's Water Polo Championships. What do you remember about that goal? Well, uh, I remember a couple a couple interesting things about that goal. One, one was a power play situation, and uh, it was 9-9. Nine, nine. The, the big... The big story of the game was we had an Olympian, uh, Brett Ornsby, and they had an Olympian, Tony Azevedo, who anyone in the water polo world knows the name Tony Azevedo, but it was actually Brett Ornsby who uh, ended up winning the, the big award as an individual that year, 
they're both seniors. Um, but that power play towards the end of the game, I was playing the sixth spot, which is essentially the wing and symmetrically opposite on the other side at the one spot was my high school teammate, uh, Josh Yuko, who was a senior and I was a redshirt sophomore and he had shot the ball and it went off the crossbar. And then I picked it up and just kind of trash goal, uh, putting the garbage away. Um, and then one other thing about it was, you know, everyone was scrambling to my side and Peter Belden, who's a senior and one of my good friends still to this day was wide open, right in the middle of the goal, about, you know, five feet away from the goal, six feet away from the goal, wide open calling for the ball. And I ended up shooting it. So I know if I would have missed that thing, you know, it would have gone down in infamy as one of the biggest mistakes ever. And, and that's kind of sport, you know, it's a bar in or a bar out, you know, a couple inches here, a couple inches there. Or, and, uh, yeah. And so that's, that's great, great fun. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, just like I said, I think that I was just able to kind of ride the momentum of, of the senior group that year. And, uh, I was more of a specialist player and I just happened to be right time, right person, right time, right place. And, and, uh, you know, it wasn't a fantastic skill that I executed in that, in that moment, but I did have another goal in that game, uh, that I'm actually more proud of, you know, in the long run, it ends up counting just as much as the others. And, uh, my, my high school teammate had two goals in that game as well. So we put, we contributed, you know, out of the small beach town from San Clemente and, and I, yeah, something I'm really proud of, you know, I've, uh, I think that it was, uh, a big moment for me, you know, but at the end of the day, it's really just lives in that, in that piece of paper right there, uh, that you read and it's, uh, and in the, you know, in the minds of the players that were there and, and maybe the families. But, uh, I think the, the important lessons you learn from athletics still continue to this day, you know, and I just want to continue to contribute and try to provide those opportunities for, for my athletes now that I coach and that I direct and mentor. Well, I'm gonna ask you this next question, and while you answer, I'm gonna see if I can find that goal on YouTube. I think that would be very interesting to relive. But you score, but there's still 13 seconds left, right? It's not, oh, scores like, right? All right, you know, we won. You gotta, you're right? It, it probably goes from a moment of, oh my goodness, we're up by one. 13 seconds left. I just scored to, okay, we gotta make sure we don't get scored on <laughs> the next 13 seconds. Right. What was that? moment like before the ball got back into play like was there a timeout called what were your coaches telling you? I mean what was that pandemonium like after you scored and then the realization is okay we got to kill off the next 13 seconds right yeah well you know truthfully I can't remember if there was a timeout called or not I'm sure that there was um and I have no idea what coach said to us in that moment but everyone in the stadium knew that Tony Azevedo was going to get the ball he's one of the most prolific scores and water polos anywhere in the world uh he happened to be wearing a dark cap against us that day and so everyone knew he was getting the ball and and that's a scary situation one of the best scorers in the world in the history of the game he's going to get the ball and he's got 13 seconds to do something with it and uh so it was pretty much throw everybody in front of in front of tony azevedo and and hope that the goalie can make a save and uh and we ended up doing it you know so it was, it was a great it was a great moment well Unfortunately, I, YouTube doesn't think it's a great moment. Yeah, well, play. you know, YouTube at that point, I think, was still just uh, funny cat videos, you know. So I, I think it was uh, the 2004. It wasn't quite what it is now where every moment is uh, you can pull up anything you want on there. Yeah, that's true. Well, we'll reach out to UCLA, see if we can 
find get a clip of that. That'd be I'm, great. I'm sure yeah. they have that in the archives, but somewhere. Somewhere. So you win the national championship, like you said. You got to make sure one of the best goal scorers in the world doesn't get his hands on the ball in the final 13 seconds. Because again, I mean, 13 seconds in water polo, it really in any sport, is a lot of time, it's right? A lot like of time. A, a lot can happen in that time. I'm sure your goal, your game winner, probably took all in all three seconds of score, right off the crossbar, right to you, right in. Right. Like it can happen just like that. Um, but you guys get it done. You win. Um, what's that feeling like? What's that celebration like? And and how how was like you said, you came to UCLA. You didn't play right away. You learned a lot in terms of going to class, right? As you said, mommy and daddy aren't there to help you help you out. They're not there to wake you up and, and push you to class and all that. But just all the hard work, all the patience you put in results in a national championship. How did that feel? Yeah, it felt great. You know, um, I think one thing I've I've learned, and that was one of the the biggest times that it exemplified it for me is like. You know, and you hear the cliche of it's about the journey and not the destination. I think that's it's it's more like the best athletes in the world are the ones that hate to lose more than like to win. And uh, I think that the reason that that is is because losing lingers and winning is fleeting. So you know, it's kind of like okay, I got to my destination. Now what type of feel? And don't get me wrong. I mean, we were ecstatic and huge celebration and it lasted for us for a while for a couple weeks and months or whatever and of course you know we're talking about it now so it's living in history and it's it's a great moment and I don't want to downplay that at all but at the same time as a as a kid and you're going up and it's national champion you know you expect some you expect some fanfare to go with it that spreads among the entire world you know because you're you know you're a 15 year old kid and you're you're putting yourself in that situation or you know you're throwing a piece of trash away and three two one kobe it right and and you have this visualization in your mind and expectation of what reality would be and then you know you get back to class the next day and you're walking on campus and no one cares you know i mean they they care in the athletic community inside that community it's a big deal you know but uh at the end of the day it's it's sport, and I think the lessons that you learn from sport are more are more life lessons and and more gameplay for the real deal of 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 outside of sport. You know, I think that those things that that transcend the lessons that transcend sport are are the important ones. You know, and I think there's other victories in my life that you know, like now I have two young boys, and you know sometimes just playing with my young boy at my house has a lot more long lasting effect than a national championship. So, and I, but I think that the, that that it's the same thing, like the perseverance, the hard work, all that stuff led to that moment. And it's the same thing in life. And, and I think that that's an important lesson for me to learn. And I, and I think for young people to learn. And I, and again, I, I'm hoping that this isn't coming off. Like I'm downplaying the importance of sport or the importance of, importance of competing at your highest level but maybe the the win losses focus is is not the right one and 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 not the not what should be you know pinpointed as far as what we're all thinking about and looking at well i don't think it's necessarily downplaying as much as like you said there's a lot more important things to life than sport right like you said you know playing with your two sons 
has a lot more rewarding feelings than winning a national championship. And I mean, even in the NFL, like, right, like 0.01% of college players make it to the highest level, right? Like you could play at USC and win a national championship, but never play a snap in the NFL. And, and that goes for any sport, right? Especially with some of those Olympic sports where the professional world isn't just as big, um, you, maybe even worldwide, right? Like there's just so much more to life um, than sports. So I think a lot of athletes would say, especially, you know, maybe when they were younger, they didn't see it that way. But now, you know, when they start having children and, and building a life and, and are just moving on from that, that they do understand that it's the perseverance, it's what you learned, and, and it's a lot more than just the wins and losses. So. Right. Um, and, and for your team, um, had a couple, couple good seasons after that, but weren't able to win the national championship again. Uh, for you, you won as a sophomore. Did not winning the national championship itself the rest of your career, did that hamper or dampen your spirits, I guess, for lack of a better term, right? Like you reach the mountaintop so early, and I know for a lot of young athletes, you win a national championship within your first two years, and you're like, oh, yeah, we're going – right back we're going to take all these while i'm here and it just doesn't happen how did you you know fight through maybe some some tough feelings or did you even have those tough feelings when you just weren't able to get back to the number one team which they say in sport right it's once you win once it's even harder to win the second time because everybody knows everybody knows now who's who's the top dog so what was that like and, and how were you able to kind of manage through that for the rest of your college career yeah yeah i can remember um I can remember my senior year. I remember the goal that kept us out of the national championship tournament, right? So back in the day, it was only four uh, four teams that went to the national championship tournament. So it was essentially a two-game tournament. You play semis, and you either get knocked out or advance to the finals. And so there was a usually from our division, MPSF, there'd be whoever won the MPSF tournament, and that large bid would go. And so there was, you know, one point we had, we had lost. We were playing in the consolation game against Cal and we needed to win that game to to have a chance to be the at large because we were already out of the running for for winning that conference tournament and I remember when it was the play that occurred uh that knocked us out of the that put it put the game out of reach and uh and I you know looking back on it I I feel like it was on me in that moment and that burns more than the championship and, and as a sophomore glorifies right and so that's kind of like what i alluded to earlier like those moments are are ones that last you know and i would have you know and then you start thinking back to months what i should could have been doing differently or working harder and those kind of things and so yeah those are tough it was, it was a tough uh it was tough not to get back there and kind of have that early success and then and then not see it again um so yeah that answers your question i think yeah, and again, I didn't mean that as like, you know, how did you manage like super negative feelings and right, how you done right. it? But right, like it's it can be very hard for young right. Like some people never win, and then some people win so early that they try chasing that. Right, I mean, you see right. in the NFL, it it feels like every Super Bowl championship team has a rookie or two that they win it. Right, they contribute big, and and then you know throughout their careers they just can't get back to the mountain top right. and, and get that feeling again. But yeah, well, that's the Charles Barkley story in the NBA, right? Just like such a stud and never got a championship. And, you know, you see Shaq and Charles always banter about that on TNT or whatever. And, you know, that's the, like I said, that's why a little bit of it is luck as well. I mean, you got to get in that 
in that position as well no matter what, how great of an athlete you are you know life has to line up a little bit as well yeah i mean for Shaq, it almost felt like that was his career path right in orlando where he was a stud and it just ne- you know it never culminated in that championship and then it's straight to the Lakers, and Kobe breaks out, and Phil Jackson is there, and then he just can't stop winning championships. Right, but yeah. I mean, it's like you said, some you just sometimes you're such a stud, and you just can't. That's why it's a team sport, right? It's not Absolutely. like tennis or golf. It's it is a team sport personified. So, um, when we talked to Darian Townsend, the swimming coach, he was at U of A when Rob Gronkowski was there. And he talked about, you know, being at some get-togethers when Rob was there and and just, you know, nice guy, fun, obviously a fun party animal type guy. Um, At UCLA, you were there. Uh, You know, Maurice Jones-Drew was playing for the football team, ended up having a pretty decent NFL career. Uh, Do you have any good stories about athletes at UCLA, right, like guys who ended up, guys or girls that made it professionally and what kind of run-ins you had with the different athletes around the UCLA campus? I don't, I don't really I don't really have any great stories about uh about high high celebrity athletes. They they were there. The football team itself was uh at least I wasn't in the same circles as them. Um so so I don't really have a story like that, but I do have a great story. Of, you know, we had a an athlete from uh from from my hometown, a a, a woman that played uh soccer and basketball for UCLA. And she was a stud on both teams and uh you know Back then, you know, they're playing basketball in Poly Pavilion, you know, super famous basketball arena, and there'd be some game going on. And Whitney Jones, who is actually her younger brother, is a good friend of mine, but she was a total stud on the basketball team. But there'd be no one in Poly, so you know, we would go cheer her on and and scream as loud as we can and make a ruckus, you know, for her. And then, and then, you know, the, the very next night. I, I, think they were the same season of sport I could be wrong but it seemed like like immediately after we go to the soccer field and she'd be kicking a laser beam you know bar down or upper v from you know it's just like talk about earlier we were talking about what kind of athlete you wanted on a water polo team and, and it's like well at the bottom line you just want a super athletic kid and like that's Whitney Jones and and uh and and now it's cool to see someone transcend her own sport and do another one and and be successful at both you know and then you'd see her in the weight room working on her own outside of time and you know she's all by herself and and all that stuff that you don't get to see from the stands or as as someone that's watching an athlete play you know so i'm sure guys like maurice jones drew and those guys like you know they're doing so much work behind the scenes so yeah whitney jones uh putting her name is you know pulling a bull bo jackson deon sanders type <laughs> exactly yeah totally both. for a woman you know like yeah yeah total stud you know well and it's like you said you you know you'll see sometimes they'll play a sport and then maybe do track or cross country right kind of out of season but basketball and soccer they overlap pretty much on top of each other right and it, it can get it's a lot it's yeah, a lot to do it's so. a lot and and you know i mean you definitely have to be special for yeah. I missed all our preseason coach. Yeah, now put me in here. I am ready to play soccer, you know, or whatever. Like, you got to be quite quite the phenom. So yeah, I'm sure that uh, you know soccer usually comes first, and I'm sure that rubbed the yeah. basketball coach the wrong way just a little bit. Right, with, uh, right. One of his best athletes unavailable for training camp practice. So. Uh huh. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for you, so you graduate from UCLA, um, and you know you got the national championship you had a really successful career 
What did you think was next for you at that time? Was it maybe a chance to play professionally overseas? Maybe the Olympics in your sight, right? The 2008 games were coming up pretty soon. Um, what did you think water polo and your career in water polo was and, and what that path was once you graduated from UCLA? Yeah, um, I was kind of, like you say, 2008 was coming up soon, but I was no longer in that pipeline. I, you know, Those decisions are kind of made three and four years out uh, of the actual of the actual Olympics, as I'm sure you know. Um, so I was kind of out on that. And I think I had my opportunity. You know, I, I did the youth team. I did the junior team. I was kind of in that pipeline. I had my opportunity. You know, the coaches at that level were telling me, um, you know, that out of all the all, all the athletes on the youth team, like you're, you and this one, are, I think you guys could go all the way to the Olympics, the national team, and, and that kind of thing. And then... Somewhere along the way, I just kind of lost my ambition to do it, um, and and towards the end of my UCLA career, you know, you get to the point where I've been playing polo since I was in fifth grade, and the last thing I wanted to do was wake up another morning and get in the pool. So I was I was kind of out of gas. So I didn't really see myself going to play overseas or or continuing with the grind. You know, there was just so much energy was involved in just just prepping for the UCLA season that, you know, I kind of marvel that the guys that would then go to national team practice, you know, UCI, UC Irvine, in my opinion, Ted Newland, who's just a, a legend in the water pool community, he, I think it was him and the culture at UCI that was able to develop individuals and athletes that were mentally tough, tough enough to do that. And they had a lot of them. And we would play UCLA, UCI as UCLA and sorry to any Annie, there's out here out there listening, but you know, it was kind of more annoying than anything else. Like we were just much more talented and we were gonna win, but UCI was gonna make it hell for us to get the win and to get the W. It was gonna be a physically brutal, mentally brutal, they were gonna never quit, you know, and those are the type of athletes that I feel like make it to the Olympics more often than not. Of course, you know, you pepper in the total athletic geniuses and the athletic studs and all that, but the, the, the role players on the athletic Olympic team, at least in the sport of water polo, in my opinion, and I could be totally off here, but are the, the, the mentally tough enough ones, you know? I mean, these guys would, would drive two hours after their university practice to go to Los Alamitos to go train some more, and it's just like, I was just done at that point. And looking back on it now, you know, it's a big regret of mine that I didn't pursue that, you know, because now I have the energy for it, or at least I, in my mind I do. And uh, and then also playing overseas, I think it's like a humongous opportunity for any young water polo players to go play overseas, even if it's in a B or C league, you know, just the the experience of being in Spain or being in a town in Italy and, and having your room and ba board paid for and, and yeah, you probably live pretty cheap and it's not like you're making a lot of money, but just the experience itself I think is invaluable. And that's one thing that I wish that I would have pursued directly after college. But like I said, I was kind of done, you know, and I, I didn't really know if I was going to be a coach or, you know, or where my career path with water polo was going to take me. Um, I ended up just being an assistant for my high school team out of, out of uh, convenience more than anything else. And then I found I grew to love it. But like I said, you know, I think one of my regrets is not pursuing that international opportunity because, like you know, like we talked about with 
the big sports here getting that fanfare. I think also, you know, there's professional leagues for them to pursue after college. And water polo, it's like, okay, now I'm done, now what? And if it's not Olympics, then it's traveling overseas, but there's nothing here. There's no professional league or even minor league for people to continue to pursue their water polo ambitions post-college. So a lot of water polo players end up going, well, now what do I do? And then they move on with their lives and do something else. Um, for me, you know, I kind of just jumped in as an assistant coach, and then I just really enjoyed the the relationships with the with the high school kids. You know, I think that it was something that not only did I enjoy, but I thought I was pretty good at it, and I still think I, I do a pretty good job of, of interacting with with university aged and high school aged athletes and getting them motivated and and not wearing them out or, or making them threadbare and at the same time getting a lot out of them, getting consistency and getting a lot of a lot of drive out of them. So so it ended up kind of just working out that I was going to be the high school coach and then, you know, they so I was a little bit pressured in and taking the women's team, which is something I'm so thankful that I did now. And then uh, and then I really wanted the men's job as well because, you know, I have a lot – I had a lot invested in the community back there with water polo at, at my hometown and it was something that – it would pay. It would pay me to see them not do well, and so I thought the only way I could really take take advantage of that or or be an influence of that was just to run the program. Well, it's like they say: if you want something done right, you might as well just do it yourself, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. um, but for you, like you said, you, you went back to your hometown, and you said you became the assistant coach out of convenience. Now, did that by that do you mean like it was? Oh, this is just something for me to do. Like I'll do it, or was it? hey, maybe I will like this coaching thing and, and maybe being a high school coach here. But let me see how I feel about coaching. What what was that? Yeah, I think it was more that drive just to see that I wanted to see them succeed and do well. You know, I wanted the program to succeed and do well. You know, I mean, the San Clemente now is it's not a small town. That's, you know, 65,000 people or something like that. But um, the community, water polo community is super small. So everyone's kind of invested in, in how the high school program's doing. And uh, people loved at my hometown to be the, the armchair coach of the program and, the, the, you know, and then sit there and critique this guy, Coach Mark Parker, who was my high school coach. It was just a phenomenal coach and an awesome person. And they'd love to sit there, at, you know, from their couches and critique how he's doing. And it just bothered me because I saw how much effort and work he was putting in. He had a young family and he lived in Orange, which was like 30, 45 minutes away. And he was on the pool deck till 6.30 at night, not getting home till probably his kid's already asleep and missing out on those things and sacrificing a lot for for the program. And now he's not being appreciated, you know? And I feel like that's just like a high school coach's like quandary. They're always in that situation. They're always underappreciated, underpaid, and then critiqued for what they're doing, you know, instead of appreciated and and uh, so I don't know why that ended up making me want to get into that position, but uh, it really just bothered me that, you know, these people would critique such a good person and such a good coach, yet they're not trying to step up and help out, you know. So that bothered me. So then I, that's why I wanted to help. You know, right away I wanted to help. It wasn't, wasn't out of, like, this is going to be my career. It's more like I just want to contribute, you know, and then it kind of segued into a career for me. 
Well, I can promise you that I will never play armchair coach for a water polo up here because <laughs> I've never played a second of competitive water polo, so I would have absolutely no idea what I was talking about. So I'll just we'll sit there, we'll broadcast the games, but I'll tell yeah, you, you yeah, won't. it's okay. You can tell me. I won't. I won't. I won't take offense. I'm used to it. The uh, high school has made me thick-skinned. Yeah. Well, it's like you said. Why would you? <laughs> you start wondering yourself. Why would you even want <laughs> want to take that on? Right. You see yeah. how bad it is, and you say, ah, I want to do that. Right. So yeah. you can't take it personal. That's true. Yeah. That is true. Well, something that I know I'm sure you're very proud of and, and take personally in a positive way is um, when you were the club director for uh, the SC Tritons, the water polo club, um, 12 initial club members in 2012, now over 150 members. Um, and, you know, running the data, almost preparing you for this job in terms of, you know, managing the different staff, creating a schedule, the budgets, right? I mean, all the things that college coaches do. What was that like, and, and what was it like to see it grow, you know, um, you know, multiply just over the years, over the last eight years, to, to grow into what it is today before you headed out here? Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, I was lucky enough to have, you know, the the, the group of athletes was small. It was, like, I, like you said, like 12. It was one team, and I think it was – a group of of 10 year olds 11 year olds for the most part but there was also a 14 a 14 year old and a six year old that was out there you know and and uh but that solid group actually was just graduated um in 2019 and uh and they were a phenomenal group of not only players but of, of families and they were super tight-knit and i my support group for the club was was from that group and you know um my partner was was one of the parents there uh, was on the board both the the dad and the mom uh the prusaks who actually their daughter plays plays for ottawa university now um but they were super supportive and you know the 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 mom dawn was you know she was type a uh, you know more more uh more structured and she's going to dot the I's and cross the T's and make sure nothing gets through, through the gaps. And then the husband was more creative, you know, and, uh, more open minded and, and would throw everything at the wall, see what sticks. And so then she would kind of filter through the bad ideas. Right. And then I would manifest it into reality. I kind of felt like that was like our, our tripod of support. And, uh, and I'm super thankful they were t- like total team players. And then there were all, uh, of course, other moms and other dads that would be, you know, just do anything for the program and were super invested. So I was lucky that that was around me because I didn't know what I was doing when I started. And then, uh, you know, we started as just a 10 and under group. And then when they aged up, we started from the bottom up, you know, and then, you know, and then it kind of grew around that group and expanded to 14s and 16s and down to 10s and, you know, eight and under is called splash ball where they're jumping off the bottom and having fun. And then, uh, you know, next thing we know, we're we're winning the, the Southern Pacific Zone for Junior Olympics and getting being the number one ranked team uh, out of our zone, which is a, one of the most competitive zones going into Junior Olympics as a 16U team and 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 seeing accolades and seeing success. And you know, my goal with it was really just to build a f- feeder program from the high school and uh, have you know a big influx every year of talented athletes that have a background in the fundamentals and in, in the sport. And that translated into into CIF finals appearances for us. And you know, when I left this last year, we were four-time uh, undefeated league champions in women's and three in men's. And you know, we were 
well-established and are well-established there, and it's a great program down there still. I still have my hands in running the program uh, back there as an age group and, and, and helping guide it and helping it more now as a more of a consultant and a clerical administration person. But, um, but yeah, I'm super proud of it. I, I, like I said, I, I think it's, I couldn't have done it, done it alone. Like any good, good venture, you know, you need a support group. So, um, but yeah, it's been great for the water polo community down there. It's been great for the aquatics community. And, and I was just happy that I was able to build something that is hopefully going to be long lasting there. Seems like it'll be long lasting for sure and i know we're hoping you build something similar here at ouaz i mean mm-hmm. i think we're all hoping you don't ever leave but <laughs> <laughs> um but long lasting for sure now you coached both high school and the club level what were some of the differences that you noticed between the two kind of the two entities right well you know one of the things is the club the club side of things is a lot more uh open and loose you know like there was always the club not the kids so much as the parents are always seeing the grass being greener on the other side of the fence so there's lots of movement on the club side as far as chasing after the dream of you know winning a jo's or winning a tournament or being more competitive or being on a on a more competitive unit you know um where high school you know it does happen a little bit with transfers and that kind of stuff but it's more like you're playing with your buddies, you know, you're, you're the same guys that you have, you know, sleepovers o- with when you're a kid and go to the beach with and go to the movies with. Those are, the, those are your guys you're in the trenches with on the high school team. And so we try to create that dynamic in the club as well, you know, make it more of a family feel and more of a, you know, there's kind of two dominant models in Southern California, at least, and I'm sure this is consistent throughout the water polo community. Um, two different models of clubs, you know, there's one that's, an area club, you know, where they'll just pull in talent from a, from a large area county or half of a county or whatever it is, and and then they're pushing up against their boundaries. They're pushing up against other big area clubs, and so then, you know, there's a gray area there of what club do I play for, and sometimes I drive for that one, and, you know, then the coach leaves or I get a new coach I don't like, I come back to this one, and there's a lot of bouncing around. And then our club model, which also Corona Del Mar does, and um, – Newport Harbor and and there's a there's a handful of them where it's it's mostly just all San Clemente kids. I think they had like 99% high school kid, uh, San Clemente kids maybe with one or two that was right over the hills and at the neighboring city or something that would drive to us. Um, but so I we tried to kind of make it the same as much as we could. The the cultures would kind of be blend the lines. You know, we were SC Tritons as at the club and we're San Clemente High School Tritons as as a high school. You know, we could kind of try to play that game where we're dancing on both sides of the line. So there's a lot of a lot of similarity similarities. It just depends uh, what club you're you're attending. Yeah, and I think what you see a lot in, and I think this is a trend that's becoming big in a lot of other sports as well. Like you said, kind of turning a club team into a feeder program, right? That that mm-hmm. has the background, especially in in sports like water polo. Um, I think swimming in some areas as well what, that aren't right. Like it's not like oh you show up to the first day of high school and you go try out for the football team and you'll be on the freshman football team. Like it's there's right. not a lot of kids that go out. You know, unfortunately, for just hey let me try swimming. Hey let me try water polo. It's it's good to have that good diverse background, especially heading into high school and and how competitive high school is in California as well. Yeah. Um, and then you've also coached boys and you've coached girls. Now we've had 
um, a plethora of guests on this podcast, right? Like women's soccer coach Skelly Keller. Um, when we talked, when we did his um, appearance, he was saying, you know, the way the girls bond together, right? Like it, it's more family oriented, and, and the way you handle different situations is a lot different than what you would handle in, in men's soccer. For you, what are some of those differences between um, the boys and the girls, and, and do you change the way you coach when you coach the different teams, or is it is it pretty much straightforward the way you handle things? Well, I think that my my personality is is one that I believe I believe and I hope is true that that the women and the men can can both appreciate and and uh and I don't I'm not too abrasive for them. Um, like I definitely see some certain coaches that. You know, because as a run in the club, I had staff, you know, a bunch of different staff. And, you know, certain coaches, I was like, all right, you're a men's coach. You know, you're going to have to stay over here. And, okay, you're a women's coach. You know, you're going to have to stay over here. And whether that's, you know, holding your line and being super firm. But both both men and women will, will test the boundaries as far as what they can get away with and, and that. So there is a lot of – there's more similar, similarities than there are differences, but there are differences. I think – one of my high school girls that graduated a while back, I think, put it best. She said, uh, "She said, Coach, men, men are happy when they play well, and women play well when they're happy." And I thought that was very insightful coming out of like a 15, 15 year old uh, high school girl's mouth, you know. And I think it's it's very true, you know that. I, th- I think the happiness comes first with the women and the happiness comes later with the men, you know, and, uh, and then, so how to manipulate that and how to make that happen, you have to approach it a little bit differently. Yeah, that is, that's pretty good wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> high school kid. I haven't heard a high school kid say anything that smart ever, including myself too. Um, but you had a lot of success um, in California. 2011 CIF Coach of the Year. Um, the USA Water Polo, you won the, uh, the Brett Bullender Award for Girls Development in 2017, um, the Bill Barnett Distinguished Coaching Award in 2018. I think when you talk to a lot of coaches, there's always that kind of fear of, am I doing this right? You know, Am I setting these kids up for success not only in sport but life, especially at this level? Winning those awards, did that make you feel like, okay, maybe I am doing something right? Yeah, yeah, definitely, I, you know, I th- momentarily right i mean and then there's always the next challenge you know and then you you uh reflect on on whether or not you're you're handling a certain situation correctly you know when, when there, there's always a new battle right and so there's always a new challenge with anything that you do and so you end up trying to second guessing yourself at times but you know one thing i try to do is once i make a decision and i handle things a certain way i can learn from it but i try not to regret it and uh and, and get a lesson from it maybe, but but not let it let it hammer me and toss and turn at night and that kind of thing and just learn from it and move on. So there are definitely times where I feel like I'm doing a great job and times where I'm you know I feel like I could have done better. So yeah, those those awards are great. You know I think the the bigger awards for me are the are the feedback at the end of the year at the banquet and you get the the senior speech and and they have something really good to say about you and you know it's you know, maybe someone that you didn't know that you affected in a certain way and they let you know and, or you get a, a really nice note two years after someone graduated, they send you something. And I think those awards for me are, are more than, 
then some of those other awards that you mentioned, you know, obviously CIF coach of the year is a big one because it's peer feedback from, from the coaches and, um, you know, and then making CIF finals appearances and those kind of things and winning a CIF championship are, are huge, you know, but, but you, like you say, with on the life side, I think that, you know, if you can do that and you can also get the appreciation of your athletes and the love of your athletes, I think that's when you're winning. Yeah. Uh, like you said, you're winning in and out of the pool, whether it be awards that you can find online or just that simple note, like you said, from some of those kids. Um, but with all your success in California, you built so much. You, you left, you know, you're in your hometown, building on the sport that you played in college where you won a national championship. Why are you AZ? Why leave? Well, you know, truthfully, we were pretty comfortable in San Clemente, you know, and, uh, you know, when this, the world kind of came to a screeching halt here last March, you know, it, it kind of inadvertently or, you know, just by a, a byproduct of it was, I was able to kind of pause and, and take a look around at my life and see what I'm doing. And, um, this opportunity came up, someone told me about it or I saw it online. I think a little bit of both. And I thought, ah, I'll just put my name in the hat, you know? And uh, I've always wanted to coach at the next level. I have always wanted to do that. But for me, moving out of San Clemente, moving away from my extended family who is all there, my, both my brothers have young families there, and my, my mom and dad live there, uh, was something that was kind of like, yeah, maybe we'll do that one day. And then so with this happening, this opportunity coming up at the same time, it was almost kind of serendipitous that the, that the opportunity came. And then when OUAZ expressed a little interest, you know, I, I really looked at it seriously and, and I, and I took maybe a closer look at it than I maybe would have in a normal year if life was going normally. And when I took a, took a close look at it, I realized what a great opportunity it was for me. And, uh, it was funny that during the application process, I kind of had to keep it under my hat because we were about to start high school season potentially and all that was up in the air and I didn't want the kids to get wind of it, you know, before I let them know personally and all that. And a significant amount of time went back, went by and I, and I didn't get, uh, I didn't get contacted by OUAZ after my application. And I went, darn, that was maybe a really good opportunity that I missed. And at that point I realized that I actually really wanted it because I, I kind of felt like I missed the boat and I was, I was, I was really bummed about it. And, uh, and, uh, that's when I, I had self-realization that I was, that I was very serious about taking the job. And my wife was the same way. She actually brought it up to me. She's like, Oh man, that might've been a really good opportunity for us as a family. And, uh, and so, yeah, so then I, then I took it very seriously and, and we weighed the pros and cons and, and really what it was for me was when I got on the, got on the zoom call with the, with the athletic director here and, and, uh, and Brittany and, and Josh, um, and I just saw what great human beings they were, you know, and I, I, I went, I could definitely see myself working for these with and for these people. And, uh, then we came out here and visited the campus and it's a beautiful place. And I think it's their start, you know, it's still kind of in its early stages. You know, we're only four years, four years old. I thought it was a great opportunity for me to put my stamp on something at the next level and, and, and to help develop it. And I saw a need for something I could provide. So that would give me meaning and structure. And, uh, you know, and then 
and then a great byproduct was to be able to get out of California, you know, do something new and also just get out of the climate over there. And, and we've been loving Arizona. We've been loving getting out here. It was a little bit of an unknown, uh, but we bought a house good year. We're, we're in a hundred percent and we're all about it out here. And I just look forward to getting more and more involved with the, with the university and getting the fam my family on campus at football games and basketball games and, and letting them, letting them absorb it all. So, yeah, and you're definitely all in if you buy a house in Arizona now, because once you buy one, and you're not gonna get another one for that price, the right. way the housing prices are going up here in Arizona. So, you're in if you buy one, because you're not gonna be able to get one for that cheap again. Right. Yeah. So I hope you're right. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and and I hope you're here for the long run as well. Um, now you coached at the right, like you played at the college level, but coached a lot of years at the high school level. How has the game changed at the college level since you last played? I mean, obviously, you've, I'm sure you've kept an eye on UCLA and, and the different, you know, the national championships and things like that. From, but from what you've seen, how has the game of water polo changed at the college level from when you played? Yeah, well, it's – there's been a lot more parity lately, which is, which is something good to see. Like, in the water polo community, you know, they talk about the big four, which is, you know, Stanford, Cal – uh, UCLA and USC and like in any given year like you could just pick one of those four and you got a 25% chance that they won a national championship um, and then there'd be an odd year where like UOP would have a great year Long Beach would have a great year and they're in the national championship and maybe they win a win a championship and and I that still seems to be the case but not nearly as clear as it was before and uh, there's and then at that one step below that it could be a huge huge plethora of different teams and universities competing at that level and so uh, I, th I think that's great for the sport I think it's you know it helps spread the athletes around you know there's more desire to for for a good athlete to go to a different university and 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 help that program out instead of you know sitting on the bench for three years at USC and then maybe getting a year or two um, so I think that's been a big change there's been lots of rule changes as well which I won't really get into, but that that's changed the game as well. Um, I think there's a little bit less of a movement aspect than there used to be in water polo, which which changes like the type of athlete that you want, um, you know. And they're getting getting more towards the big bodies and the and the big strong athletes as opposed to the quick and the inside water and the and the driving and the creative and creative play, which I don't like. I like the movement. I think there's a little bit too much holding going on, especially in the women's game. Um, just because the women's, they have big long suits on, they cover up a lot of their a lot of their core body, and so there's lots to grab. I mean, there's, and they're and good on them. Like they're doing what they can to to get a competitive advantage. But I think that that we could do a little bit better job of executing the the rules and defining what the rules are to keep the game a little bit more movement oriented and a little bit more free and a little bit more pleasurable to watch. Um, you know, just as far as like a a pure sport art part of the game I, I like the movement aspect a little bit more sounds like water polo has the same problem the national hockey league had back in the mid 90s early 2000s right just a lot a lot of grab and hold and ho hope you like one nothing games because that's all you're gonna get yeah but. yeah well the thing with water polo like the power plays it's it's similar to hockey as far as in there's power plays except for they're very short because of power play advantage and water polo is a huge advantage so it ends up with a lot of power play as well, which is fun to watch, you know, so that that's kind of the, the give and take, right? I mean, there's not a, a lot of movement in the half court, but 
you do see a lot of power play action, which is a, a great part of the game. It's one of the one of the cerebral parts of the game that I think is a lot of fun to coach. It's a lot of fun to play. It's a lot of fun to make those reads, and, and you have to be creative, and that's kind of where that part comes in. I'm sure your love of the power play also comes from you bearing the game-winning national championship goal on the power play as well. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm lefty, so uh, there's always a demand for lefties in, in water polo. It's really big. You know, I know that's similar in a lot of sports, but, you know, maybe you can compare it to, like, a left-handed pitcher. You know, it's, like, that important to have on the roster because, you know, on that side of the pool, it's just you're not catching the ball across your face and your balance and the shooting angles. And, and so even when I was young at – UCLA, I think my my red shirt freshman year, so my second year, you know, you're still to the point there where at UCLA with the big rosters where they go, okay, you're done with conditioning skills, get out of the way, we're going to scrimmage with the big boys now, you know, and so then, but if we were playing a team that had a lefty, I would get to play because then they're practicing against me, you know, so that, but it was mostly power play situation, so I'd just come in and play power plays, and then my next, uh, or extra man, I guess you call it in water polo, but, uh, and then my next year, that would kind of be all I did. Like I, w I would venture to say that if there were stats on it, like goals per time played, I'd like be. I think I would be up there as far as, you know, NCAA record because I'd literally get uh, put in as a timeout power play. The ball would get passed around for six, seven seconds. I'd score a goal, and coach would sub me out because I just wasn't quite there on the up and back part of the game, or maybe the physicality. I don't know. We'd have to ask Coach Kikorian. Uh, I was always perturbed when he pulled me out after a goal, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So like you said, I think that's where my love for the power play comes from is I was, I was a power play specialist. It was only like special teams for a year or two. Yeah. The Ovechkin of water polo, right? You just stay in your spot. They get you the ball, you put it in and you get off the ice. Yeah. You get, you have a couple moves and that's all you need. Yep. That's all you need. <laughs> so, um, but what is, what is your vision of, the OUAZ water polo program, right? I think it's been a, a little bit of flux, obviously no fault of your own or, or the university's, right? Just some, some odd timing mm -hmm. um, with the way everything ended up. Like you said, the world came to a halt and, and some changes within the department and, and the program. Um, but right now, like you said, you want to be in it for the long haul. What is your vision for this program? And, and obviously the end goal is a national championship, but what's the vision? Well, the short-term vision, which – segues into a long term it's just it's just culture building you know i think i think that sets the stage for everything else you know so my goal is to is to see where what the culture is uh, you know I, day one I, I told the athletes that you know it's their program you know i'm just fortunate enough to now get on board and and, and help maybe direct the ship but it's their program and and at the end of the day right now it's up to them to determine what the what the program culture is going to be at least while they're here, and so my goal and 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 I think my my biggest task early on is to help cultivate that culture into one that's going to be that's going to end up with with a winning program and with winning individuals, you know, and uh, and I think that's something that is going to go towards a, that long-term goal of, of national championships and all that, but you can't build on anything that doesn't have that foundation. And so that's between that and, and filling roster spots. I mean, 
that's that's the goal that's the job right now as far as i'm concerned you know i mean i'm i'm recruiting i'm i i have a great great group of uh, recruits coming out here next weekend i got one coming out tomorrow and we've got about 30 to 40 recruits coming in uh over the next couple of weeks um between the men's and the women's program and uh so on that end i, th I think i'm doing well i think that the program has a good future on that side um, but when those recruits get in here, I, I want a culture already established so they know what's expected and then, then they can buy in immediately. Um, and the shorter amount of time that that cultivation and that establishing of a, of a culture takes, I think the better off we're going to be as a program as far as getting momentum and getting going. So I see that as, as my biggest goal, you know. And, and there's a lot that goes into that, of course, you know, but I think uh, one of it is just, is just the, low, the, the fundamental aspects of, of being a student athlete and what it means and, and conveying that to the current team and, and making sure they understand what their, what their role and what their job is inside the program. Now, how do you build that culture without having, not necessarily that you need games to build a culture, right, but it can be hard. I think a lot of coaches struggled with, you know, what are we practicing for? What are we really working towards when the pandemic was, I mean, dead in the middle, right? We, right. None of the professional sports were playing. No cut, right? Like if professional sports aren't playing, it's going to be very hard for anybody else to play. How do you build that culture when it, sometimes it might feel like, man, we don't have a game on the schedule for another 12 months. Why am I even in the pool right now? How do you, how do you build that culture and, and how do you keep the kids motivated and how do you tell the recruits coming in, hey, hey, look, there's going to be something to work towards and and building that culture. Yeah, well, I think like you touched you touched on it a little bit. Like, uh, I think the programs that had good culture were able to survive this tumultuous time, and the the ones that didn't saw their saw their athletes run, you know, either onto other things or different t programs or whatever it is, right? And so I think that you know it's going to be important that. Like you say, it's tough without games on the schedule, and and p my job is to is to put goalposts up for us to drive at, right, and put put something at us and, and goals for us to drive out. And I think one of those things is is our goal right now is to build the roster, build a quality roster, get athletes interested, get them out here. So, you know, the current rosters games are when the recruits come out you know that they're that's that that's up now it's up to them like you know they need to show why why the recruits want to be them right why they want to be out here at OUAZ you know I think that the school the university itself has it down I mean like it's all here anything that you would want if you want to go to a small private Christian Christian university it's here it's awesome it's all brand new it's high end it's got the admin here it's got the professors it's 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 got it all it's got the gear you know you have everything that you want as a student athlete now the you know the responsibility is on myself and the current athletes here to make the program itself appealing you know i mean we're, we're competing with other other universities for that so we're competing for athletes and so that's the competition right now I think, of course, we're also doing water polo, you know, the, then there's the other side of it of, you know, I think that I have an advantage that I'm new. And so that's breaking up the monotony of, of no games for the current athletes, you know, and they get to, they get to 
learn what I'm about. And I think that breaks it up and, uh, and gives them something to do, you know, and we've been having a lot of fun at practice teaching skills and, and getting to know one each other and one another. And, and I think it's been good. Now, when those recruits come in over the next couple of weeks, it'll be their first time seeing the campus or, you know, one of the first times they're seeing the campus. The first time you got here, what, what surprised you the most? What did you really like? And, and really what were your thoughts overall when you, you know, you get the job, you come here and, and you finally step on campus for the first time? Yeah, well, I was, I was impressed with just the quality of everything, you know, the quality of the buildings, the architecture, you know, the football field, the gym, the weight room, you know, I thought, I think everything's been really, really well done. Um, you know, it, it's relatively small and, uh, and I know that there's another phase coming and, and they're still building and still expanding, but I think that they're doing a good job. And I don't, I don't even think it's necessarily slow, but I think that what they're doing when they commit to building something. And when I say they, uh, whoever's running the, running the development of the university, they're making it super quality. You know, and so I, I, I appreciated that. And then when I learned about the university itself, you know, the flex term scheduling, the Wednesday spirit life and the workshops that go on after and, you know, the, the focus of the of the administration to, to build well-rounded young adults and, and have them exposed to essentially adulting skills, right, on Wednesdays. I think, I think that's invaluable. I mean, one of the things that I always had a, a big problem with with my education through the years including at UCLA maybe more so at UCLA was the lack of real world you know problems that I'm going to encounter as an adult and how there's ne they're never addressed you know and I think that addressing those at this formative age you know 18 to 22 24 or whatever it is I think is going to pay dividends for everyone that goes to this university and comes through that program so I think, that, I think that's like I said invaluable yeah it's building a good culture at the school and uh, I know you're trying to build that great culture inside your program and I'm, I'm sure you're looking forward to leaning on some of the resources here to try and develop that culture so Logan I really appreciate your time had a lot of fun you know learning about the sport of water polo a little bit about your national championship heroics um, but before we go, any final thoughts, any final words you want to leave with your family, with your players, um, you know, maybe future assistant coaches, whatever that means, any final thoughts before we head out for today? Uh, yeah, you know, I just want to say, you know, that I'm, I'm super thankful to be here, um, given this opportunity by Kevin Steele and, and the administration here and that vote of confidence that they believe that I can do it is something that I've been I've been leaning on as I've kind of been getting my bearings and getting it figured out here and um, you know and then just the the family aspect of the of the people that I work with you know they've been super welcoming um, and I know they would be like that to anyone that that gets brought on you know and I I'm super thankful for that like I said from the very beginning I could tell that these are people I wanted to work with and work work for and. Uh, and that has proven true, and that's been something that's been been super solid. I'm, I'm also really looking forward to exploring the state of California and getting out and seeing what it ha or sorry the state of Arizona and see, seeing what it has to offer. And 
uh, getting into the mountains here and getting into the desert and enjoying the natural beauty around me. Yeah, well, we're looking forward uh, to having you around hopefully for a long time and uh, maybe teach some of your kids how to score a game-winning national championship yeah, goal down the line. that would be fun. So, Logan, thank you so much again for your time and uh, looking forward to talking to you soon. Right on, Seth. Thank you so much.